This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. I hope this message will be an encouragement, although there's some stuff in there that should motivate us a bit too, because that's what preaching is all about. But uh, I hope it'll be an encouragement to us. With all that's going on in the world today, there are a lot of voices that are calling for a one-world government and a one-world religion, a religion that we all just take the things we agree on and get together on. Well, I can't do that because we don't agree on much. God ordained that governments be national and that there be many of them so that when one falls, everybody doesn't go down with it, just the same way as he ordained that churches be local and not tied together in some big organization. So when one church fails... It doesn't take down a whole organization with it. But the Bible talks about this as being a characteristic of the last days, just before Christ's return. And so, how close are we? I'll give you the answer up front. I think it's soon, but I really don't know. In Revelation chapter 22, starting in verse 16, it says, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things uh, in the churches. Now, these things, I think, is the whole book of Revelation. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star, and the spirit and the bride say, Come. Let him that heareth say, Come. Let him that, that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Now, how can you read a verse like that and believe that God doesn't want everybody to come? For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words uh, of the, the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Now this, this next verse is the real text verse. <clears throat> He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, I, I want to look at that, that uh, phrase, I come quickly. It's used several times, most of them in this book, as a matter of fact, about his, his coming. And when was this written? About 95 A.D. It's a couple of years ago, isn't it? How many would say that, that, that uh, over 2,000 years is quickly? Well, it is, <laughs> okay? It is. We don't think of it that way because we live in our little finite mindsets that, that see things the way we see them instead of from God's point of view. But, but first of all, the Greek word does mean shortly, which is what we normally mean. But it means without delay, and it means soon. But it also means by surprise, suddenly. The English word means speedy, with haste, soon, or without delay. And the common usage of the word is without delay, doing it right now. What's happened here is, is we've taken in that, that to make it mean a short time. But what he means is when the appointed time comes, I will come quickly. I will be there at the appointed time. If you have looked in scriptures and paid attention, Christ came at the appointed time when he came the first time, and he will come at the appointed time when he comes the second time. And when it comes, it will be suddenly, and it will surprise a lot of people. It will surprise a lot of people who call themselves Christians. 
We have people that that uh, believe that he's coming back halfway through the tribulation, and some believe that he's coming back uh, at the end of the tribulation. Well, frankly, I think the coming back that it's talking about here is probably the one at the end of the tribulation, but it's not the one I'm looking for. Because I'm looking for the rapture. I think he's coming, talking here about the one where he comes back and actually sets foot on the ground. But, but anyway, it says that he's, that he'll come quickly, uh, when it's time to come. Now look in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 37. For yet a little while, he that shall come will come and will not tarry. How many times have you heard a preacher stand up and talking about the return of Christ and say, if the Lord tarries? Well, that verse just tells us that he will not tarry. The word tarry means to delay or to put off uh, a coming or to defer. Well, he's coming at the exact appointed time, the moment that it's time for, for heaven to open and him to come back on that white horse with us with him. So we will have already gone up at that time. Uh, that, at that moment, it's going to happen. The only thing is, is we don't know when. How many books have been written saying, I know when Christ is coming back? A few. And they've always been wrong. Jehovah's Witnesses uh, said that he was coming back in 1914. And when he didn't come back, they moved it to 1940-something or other. And when he didn't come back then, they moved it, well, I think next they moved to 1918, then 1940-something. And then when they found out they were all wrong, then they changed it, went back to 1914, but he didn't come back physically, he came back spiritually which I think is where they stand now, but I don't know. They change it often enough. Uh, but we don't know. In Mark 13, uh, 32 and 33, it says, But of that day, speaking about his coming back, uh, and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. Now, this is kind of a, difficult verse for one thing it says neither the son it says the son doesn't know but jesus christ is god and therefore he's all-knowing so he doesn't know as a man he didn't know he had put away some of his prerogatives of deity he knows now but we don't know and so those people who say they know they're lying then back in our text there's no doubting his coming behold means pay attention and in revelation 3:11, it says behold i come quickly in, in uh, chapter 22, verse 7, it says, Behold, I come quickly. In uh, verse 12 of the same chapter, it says, Be, And behold, I come quickly. It, it, it's sure that he's going to come back, and surely means without a doubt. In Revelation 22, 20, He that testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. What does amen mean? We say amen a lot. Don't we? We close our chair, our prayers with amen. We, we say amen when we agree with somebody. That's a word that means, yeah, that's the way it's going to be. It means for sure. He says, surely I come quickly. Amen. So, so there's not any doubt that he's coming back. You know, it, it's kind of interesting because even pagan religions forecast his coming. Now, they may have a distorted view. They may call him something else, but they know that God is coming back. His first coming is for his saints. Go back with me, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's a comforting passage of Scripture and something that we should all be familiar with, starting in verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. 
For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Some some things here that we need to, to think about as we look through this, this passage of Scripture is, first of all, he wants us to know. He doesn't want us to be ignorant. He wants us to know what lies ahead. He wants us to know that he's coming back, that there's hope for us. He wants us to know that we might not die. Wouldn't that be neat to go up in the rapture? But he doesn't want us to sorrow. He doesn't want us to be saddened by the, uh, the fact that some of our brothers and sisters in Christ have passed on. But, you know, we don't have to sorrow at the fact that those people that we love dearly like that have passed on because we can have hope that we'll see them again. The resurrection of Jesus is all the proof that we need. I mean, his grave was empty. It was checked out. Now, they invented some stories to try and cover it. But I want you to think about something. You know, the story that was the first one that was concocted was, will you just tell them that the, that the disciples came and stole the body? Now, we're talking about armed soldiers being overcome by some fishermen to steal a body. Say, so, well, tell them you were asleep. Well, if you're asleep, you get killed. That was the penalty for sleeping on guard duty. If we, if we believe that he rose, then we should also believe in the resurrection of the dead in Christ. Our expectation, if we die before his return, we expect to be resurrected. If we're alive when he returns, we expect to be changed. These bodies with all of their, their uh, imperfections, all of their, their aches and pains, uh, won't need these anymore. All this stuff will be taken care of. You know, the, the, the aches and pains will be gone. The illnesses we have will be gone. Those that have cancer, the cancer will be gone. That's the hope that we have. And then after that, there's the hope that we will be with him forever. Wow. That's something. Be with God forever. Be with our Lord Jesus Christ. Be with the one who loved us enough to come and die on the cross. I mean, if that doesn't excite you, you better go out and order a new exciter. Because something's wrong. Uh, maybe you're not saved. I don't know. But that doesn't excite you. It should excite you. Uh, how will this happen? Well, here's something that's really neat. Remember when, when uh, uh, was it Naaman, the, the, the Syrian general that went to the prophet, and the prophet sent out his, his assistant? Well, Jesus isn't going to send an assistant. The Lord himself shall descend with a shout. He's coming personally to get us. Then the dead will rise first. I have a brother that died the morning after he was uh, uh, he graduated from high school. He he was killed in an automobile accident, and uh, he was saved the same day I was. And you know something? He's going to come out first, and we're going to go up together. Now I, we probably won't go up right next to each other because I probably will not be in Southern California when the rapture happens. <laughs> but uh, but it would be a neat place to be. But but we have that hope. The dead will rise first, and then we'll be caught up together. I used to think they'd be going, and we'd be following them. But that's not what it says. 
They'll come out of the ground. They'll get their new bodies. Our bodies will be changed, and then we'll go up together to be with the Lord. And we'll be at the clouds. And, and you know, you notice in this in this uh, second coming, or part of the second coming, Jesus doesn't come back and set foot on the earth. He comes back in the clouds. We go up in the clouds, and and then we we return to heaven with him. We come back seven years later, and that's why I wear cowboy boots because we're coming back on horses. Actually, I wear cowboy boots because they make my knees feel better, if you want to know the truth of the matter. But we're coming back on, on horses. Uh, he'll be leading the horses uh, on his white horse, and I don't know what color our horses would be, and I don't really care. I just know that I'm going to be with him forever. And then we will have the millennium down here. And, and then this is something that we really need to, to understand in the days we live in. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. We are comforted to know that we will not have to go through the tribulation. Now, there are some that think we will. But it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, it says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that could be the wrath of hell, and I'll grant you that. But it comes right after what we just read. So I think it's talking about the same subject. And we're not appointed to wrath. The The tribulation period has another name. It has several names. But one of the names is, is uh, a time of, day, of uh, Jacob's trouble. But it's also the time of the pouring out of the wrath of God. And we're not appointed to wrath. So why would we be here to go through that? Go back with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 29. And immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. So then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory." And he shall send his angels with a, great, uh, with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds uh, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn the parable of the fig tree. When, when his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. We first see him come back in the air to catch us out. Then he comes back to conquer. And that's what we're reading about here. And you can read about it in, in Matthew, or in Revelation chapter 19 also. But tribulation comes first before this. So you have the tribulation period. That would be the book of Revelation chapters 4 through 19. If you just want to read what it's going to be like. It's not going to be a very good place. It's going to be a tribulation like the world has never seen. I mean, there's been a lot of panic. Go back to 1929. There was a lot of panic when everything fell and the economy fell. People committed suicides, jumped out of buildings, all kinds of things because of it. We just have gone through a recession. They say it's over. I don't think it is, but but they, they, whether it is or isn't doesn't matter. There's been a lot of, of turmoil and things. There's, there's persecution all over this world. Look at what's happening to... I realize they're only nominal Christians, they're not new Christians, are real Christians, but look at what's happening in Egypt to Christians right now, those who profess to be Christians. All kinds of tribulation, but that's nothing. Put it all together, it's nothing like what's going to come. In two events, early on in the tribulation period, half 
of the people on earth will die. As, uh, as we stand here right now, that's three billion people. Now, people say, well, yeah, but it'll be a lot less because all the Christians will go out. Let me tell you something, folks. The rapture will be noticed slightly. You've, if you've seen these paintings they've got with, with the rapture and, and they've got cars in the ditches on fire because the, the, the driver was raptured and planes falling out of the sky and stuff like this, folks, it's not going to be like that. It is not. The vast majority of the people in this world, even in this nation, are not saved and will not be going up in the rapture. It's a sad thing to say, but it's true nevertheless. But, but half of them, there's going to be famine like the world has never seen. I mean, we've seen some pretty bad famines. Look at the one in Egypt where, where Joseph there, the seven-year famine there in Egypt. It's a pretty bad famine. And it didn't just touch Egypt. There's going to be suffering and persecution beyond imagination. If you won't bow down before the image of the beast, it will cost you your head, literally. You will be beheaded for it if you're caught. You know, it talks in this passage of Scripture about gathering his elect from the four winds. Well, that's not us, folks. Because there will be people saved during tribulation. Actually, there will be quite a few people saved during tribulation. However, those who had a chance before won't have a chance afterwards. But, but it's a terrible time. The first coming is more or less invisible because he doesn't come back to earth and we go out of here so fast they won't see us going. Now, my opinion is, and this is not stated in Scripture, but my opinion is if they were standing there talking to you and you got raptured, all of a sudden your clothes might fall to the floor. Because you're going up with a white robe. Not with the clothes you wear now. So they might say that and say, what happened to him? This one's going to be visible. He will be seen in the clouds this time. And he will be there with the armies of heaven. In Revelation 19, verses 13 and 16, it says, And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which, which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth... Uh, the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. We, we use the word army to mean an armed military force. No, it just means a great big bunch of people that are organized together. And, that's, and we'll be coming back with him. The conditions preceding his, his, uh, his second coming are back in, in Matthew chapter 24. In verses 38 and 39, it says, For as in the days that were before the flood, uh, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and do not until the flood came and took them all away, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. See what I mean? He'll come quickly. They won't be expecting it. They'll be going on just as it was before the flood. You know, the, uh, they'll be eating and drinking and marrying, giving marriage, just going about life in the normal way, just like they are today. There's not going to be any major sign per se. Now, there are some things that those of us who know the Bible can look at and we can say, well, this looks like it could be soon. And that I really believe we're there. But there's not going to be some striking sign in the sky that will make everybody repent and a bunch of people turn to Christ. or thing. Uh, You know, it says in the days before Noah, or before the flood, rather, that their thoughts were evil continually. How does that sound like the world we live in? 
Everything is based on sex and what's in it for me and what can I get and my rights. They lived their lives just as if everything was okay. They were ignorant of the fact that judgment was coming. Actually, they're willingly ignorant because the word's out there. So anybody who doesn't know is willingly ignorant. They're ignorant because they're not willing to do the effort, take the effort necessary. Uh, what did they do before the flood? They mocked. You know, Mo, uh, Noah had 120 years. I think he preached for 120 years. The Bible doesn't specifically say that. But that's what I think he did. And he was warning them for 120 years. And they mocked and they laughed. And said, what do you do building a boat for? What do you mean it's going to rain? It ain't never rained before. It's not going to rain now. And they mocked him. Until one day he went in and God shut the door. And drip, drop. What's that? Hey, it's water coming out of the sky. Oh, is that rain? Uh-oh. That's the way it's going to be here. They're going to say, oh, you know, you guys have been saying this for 2,000 years. It isn't going to happen. Yeah, it is. It's going to happen. You can count on it. Why is this important to us? What kind of an application can we make from this? Well, first of all, we need to look at the world we live in, and we will see the conditions of the world. There's evil everywhere. Somebody sent me an email today about uh, a traitor, the person responsible for the deaths of some of my friends and compatriots being honored by our president. The person's name is Jane Fonda. There's evil everywhere. It's been around, but it's getting worse. I mean, Jane Fonda went to Hanoi, and, then the, and them trying to show America how well they were treating their prisoners let her talk to some prisoners that they'd taken out and cleaned up and made look nice. And the prisoners took and wrote down their social security number so she could go back and tell the people in the States that their loved ones were still alive. And as she came by and shook their hands, they put her in their hands. You know what she did at the end of that? She took those things and she walks over to the guy that was in charge of the communists that brought her there and gave them to them. Those men were beaten. Three of them died. But they're honoring her as being one of the most influential women or one of the best women in the last hundred years. Evil everywhere, folks. Immorality abounds. Folks, even in supposedly Bible-believing churches, they accept a man and a woman living together outside of marriage as normal. And there's a mockery of the things of God. Did you see on the news last night or maybe today about this, these atheists that have put up these signs to, saying all religion is a scam and things like this? And they had him on, on one of the talk programs last night. And he, he said, well, it is a scam. We know there's no God. Oh, I wish I could have been there for that and asked him the follow-up question to that. I say, how do you know there is you God, no God? Have you looked everywhere? I mean, if I told you that I'm standing in China and I don't see any gold, so I say there's no gold in China. Can I, have I proved there's no gold in China? No. What would I have to do? I'd have to look in every nook and cranny under every rock and dig in the ground all over the place to prove there was no gold in China. If the guy I'm talking to happens to open up his mouth and I see a gold filling in his teeth and I say, see, there is gold in China, I don't have to show it one time. Let me tell you, I know there's a God. He's right here. He lives in me. But they're, they're mockery of, of God all over the place. Another thing that we need to keep in mind is that our Lord is coming to take his children out before judgment. That's those who are in Christ. Those who are in Christ, both dead and alive. 
Those, those who have come to Christ on His terms, that are trusting Him and Him alone for their salvation from sin, not for solving all their problems. He will eventually solve them all, but maybe not in this life. But, but it, it's a sin problem that He solves. And to ever be with Him. So those are things as far as applications that should comfort us. But we also need to realize that there's a terrible time coming. You know, the tribulation is the time of pouring out of God's wrath. Called the time of Jacob's trouble. I've already mentioned that. And the suffering is beyond anything we can imagine. Folks, let me tell you something. Osama bin Laden. I wouldn't want him to go through this. The guys who flew the planes into the Twin Towers. I wouldn't want them to go through this. Now, they're already going through something worse. Because they're dead. But what I'm talking about, this is so horrible, I wouldn't want my worst enemy to go through it. So that kind of puts an obligation on us, doesn't it? Tell others about it. Now, if you should happen to be here and not be in Christ, I want to point something out to you. Go with me, if you would, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. People have a tendency sometimes to say, I'll go ahead and do things now, but when it gets close or when I have to, when I get the end of my life or whatever it may be, in this case, after the rapture, then I'll do what's necessary. In Second Thess- Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. For this cause shall God send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. If you have heard the gospel... Prior to the rapture, you will believe a lie after the rapture. You will not believe that that's what happened. Uh, I, I know people that, that have taken and, and written letters uh, and put them in a safe place so that if the rapture comes, their family can read them to tell them what lies ahead. If you have faithfully witnesses, witness to your family, don't bother writing the letter because it will not have an effect. Not if this passage of Scripture is true. But you won't have a a, a second chance. Those who will not receive the truth that they might be saved will believe a lie. They're believing one now. Why should things change? But God's going to send strong delusion. What is that strong delusion? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell me. But there will be a reason why we disappeared, whatever it may be. It could be we're holding, this is just a a thought, but it could be that we are holding up civilizations, mankind's advance to the next stage because of our of our primitive mentality to believe in God, and therefore the the aliens came down and took us out to fix us up or just to get rid of us so we could make that le- next giant step in evolution of man. That could be one. I mean, that's just my imagination running wild. I realize that, but something they'll believe something. If you're here without Christ, and I don't know that there is anybody here tonight, but if you are, don't neglect the chance that you have now. In Hebrews 2, 3, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? It's so great that our Savior came and died on the cross. How can we escape if we neglect that? Today is the day to respond to God. In 2 Corinthians 6, 2, it says, For he saith, I have heard thee... In a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You may not have it tomorrow, but if you're in Christ, and I think that's most, if not all of us tonight, 
What effect should this have on us? We should live for him. In, in Romans 12.1, it, it tells us, Present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's not unreasonable to give yourself wholly to God. It's just reasonable after what he did for us. Did Jesus Christ give himself wholly for us or not? He did, didn't he? To the death of the cross. Tell others before it's too late. Second Corinthians 5.11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men... But we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also made manifest in your consciousness. But we persuade men. Persuade. It means we use reasonable arguments when we can use reasonable arguments to turn them to Christ. Uh, but, but we're to tell others before it's too late. You know, Jesus is coming back. He'll first come back to take those that are his out of here uh, so they don't have to go through the tribulation. Then he'll come back at the end of the tribulation with his saints to rule. And he will rule with a rod of iron. You know, that means it'll be a strict rule. These things are of great comfort if we're truly born again. To those who are not in Christ at the coming of his, of his saints, it is a warning of impending danger. There won't be a second chance. And there surely won't be a second chance after death. Christians have the responsibility to get the word out so that others can be saved. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com, or call 828 828- 244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.